0: just as I get ready to pray let's just remember that we really allow the words that we just sang to sink in there are some of us here right now and you feel like your life is crumbling you feel like things are uh, falling apart there's there's no source of security there's no sense of of uh, stability and you need to be reminded and just receive what you just sang that truth that we can build our entire life on one thing the love of Jesus Christ. And even if everything else falls away, that is the one thing that can remain. So let's remember that, let's receive that, let's not just sing that, let's trust that and believe that. Let's pray together in the name of the one who loves us in that way. So Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We come by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, thanking you God for meeting with us in worship and God we have sung your praise now and we ask that we would hear your word God I pray that I would fade very quickly into the background and that your voice would be heard and that we would be transformed that we would hear your truth Lord God and that we would be set free by the truth of your word God we love you and thank you in Jesus name amen amen please be seated you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 8 if you don't have a Bible or ushers are coming up and down the aisles right now to help you out with that. John uh, chapter 8 and verse 30 uh, is where we're going to uh, begin and we're going to be studying all the way to John 8, uh, 59 uh, today. So, John 8, beginning at verse 30, it said, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and never have been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if Abraham were your if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your, you were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The amazing thing about this passage of Scripture is how different the end is from the beginning. They started off like they were all on the same page. Verse 30 says that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then verse 31, is so Jesus said to those who believed in him, so they were believing in him. But then you get to verse 59, and they're getting ready to kill him. I mean, that's a pretty big transition, isn't it? That's kind of like being up two games to none in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then having the other team win one game, and then another game, and then another game, and another game. That's a pretty big transition, isn't it? Sorry, that's just really on my mind right now. (laughs) So obviously something happened in this passage. Obviously in this interaction between these Jewish would-be believers and the Lord Jesus Christ. Something took place. You can see that they talk a lot about Abraham. His name comes up 11 times all throughout this, this section here. Really what takes place is Jesus makes three profound statements. And each statement, ...infuriates and enrages his listeners all the more. So that by the end, they're, they're ready to kill him right there on the spot. He begins by talking to those who believe in him. And he says, if, if, you, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Now we need to be careful about this word believe. It, it occurs 98 times in the Gospel of John. It is the central word... But sometimes belief is used in a saving faith belief, like John 3.16. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But believe can also be used to describe sort of a surface, superficial faith. Believing in Jesus so as that you're willing to receive what he gives but not do what he demands. And so this group of people that Jesus is talking to, it says they believe but not in a saving way. It's kind of like when Jesus told the the parable of the sower and the guys, you know, he he sows some seed on the path and some seed on the rocky soil and some on the good soil. And this is what Jesus said about the, the rocky soil. John 8 verse, or sorry, Luke 8 verse 13. And the ones on the rock, that's the rocky soil, are those who when they heard the word receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing they fall away now the time of testing happens to be just this conversation where Jesus is encouraging them you need to take root that's why he tells them in verse 31 if you abide in my word that's how you take root if you abide in my word you're truly my disciples then your belief will move from a superficial belief to a saving belief And then he says in verse 32, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus lays out the pathway for true discipleship, for true Christian living. It goes like this. Abide in the word. A true disciple abides in the word. And as they abide in the word, they know the truth. And as they know the truth, they are then able to live in freedom. A true disciple abides in the word. A true disciple knows the truth. And a true disciple lives in freedom. But his, his listeners, verse 33, these superficial believers, they respond. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Here's here's the first of of the the three statements that Jesus makes, it's the need for liberation from our slavery. Jesus talks about bringing liberation from our slavery, being set free, knowing the truth and that the truth will set us free. But his hearers are like, we don't need to be free, we're sons of Abraham. Now clearly they're in, in denial. Clearly, they're sort of reading history selectively and just sort of focusing on the highlights. I mean, the people of Abraham, the people of Israel never being enslaved to anyone. Like, do you remember that whole Egypt thing? That was a pretty big deal. Like the Moses and the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, that was all because of slavery. And, and then not to mention in the, t- the days of the judges and all the different people would take over. The judges would have to be raised up to set them free from slavery. And then the Assyrians came and enslaved and exiled. The, and then the Babylonians came and then the Medo-Persians took over. The Greeks were in charge for a little while. And then the Romans. So uh, pretty much there's been a lot of slavery. And yet these people were thinking, no, they were in denial of it. They said, no, we've never been enslaved to, uh, to anyone. But they were not only just in denial of the actual historical fact of their history of slavery, even their present reality of being enslaved. They were under Roman military occupation. You know when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone tells you to walk one mile, walk two? That wasn't just if a random person comes up to you. Roman soldiers were allowed to take take the people who they were oppressing and force them to carry their gear and their equipment for a mile. That was the regulation and Jesus was saying, well, if your oppressor is going to make you walk one mile, walk two. Because they were being oppressed. They were being enslaved. They were under Roman military occupation. They were not free. But Jesus was talking on a far deeper level. He wasn't just merely talking about political slavery or physical slavery. He was talking about spiritual slavery. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is the liberation that we need. Sin is slavery. The sin of anger, when we do things physically, when we allow words to come out of our mouths, that's because we're not in charge in that moment. Anger is our slave master. And we are doing what anger tells us to do. When we are filled with fear, when we miss out on clear opportunities that God is giving us, when we refuse to go deeper in relationships with others, that's because fear is bossing us around. When we sin in the area of of lust, when we give in to those desires, when we put things before our eyes, when when we go too far beyond what God would allow sexually, We are being enslaved. It is lust that is driving us to do those things. When we give in to bitterness and we think wicked and evil thoughts about other people and how we've been mistreated and we fantasize about how we would mistreat them in return, bitterness is our slave master in those moments. And just like the people that Jesus was speaking to we're in denial. We ourselves can be in denial as well. We're in a prison cell and we, you know, we put some paint on the floor, some laminate click flooring in there, a couple of paintings on the wall and a, a bouquet of flowers and we think, well, this is not so bad. And we, we lose sight of the fact that we are in fact enslaved to sin, but Jesus came to give liberty in verse 35, he talks about the slave not remaining forever, but the, the son remains forever. Now, our understanding of slavery, um, from our context, is far different because we have the North American slave trade and how slavery was handled uh, in, uh, in Europe and it, through colonialism. But slavery in Jesus' day was far different. A slave was considered part of the household, almost part of the family. But there were limits. There, To the rights and responsibilities that they had, but slaves in those days had far more rights and responsibilities than how we would understand chattel slavery. But the slave, even though they were part of the household, they they were sort of there temporarily. And Jesus, he gives this bad news. He says, You're all slaves to sin, but then he says, The good news. He says, But I'm the son. He says, I'm not a fellow slave. I'm not enslaved to sin. I have a different status. And not only that, I have authority to set slaves free. I'm an heir to everything that that, that this household owns. And so I have the freedom to set slaves free. That's why he says in verse 36, So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. A slave didn't have the authority to set another slave free, but a son has that authority. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. But what does he mean by free? We so often think of freedom as the absence of restriction. We think, well, if I, I just want to be free. I want to be able to do whatever I want. I want to be able to say whatever I want. I want to be able to, to, to go wherever I want to go. Do whatever I want to do. But listen, freedom is not the absence of restriction. Adam and Eve were the freest human beings who ever lived. Now, when we think about freedom, when our world thinks about freedom, we think about sexual freedom, sleep with whoever you want, however you want. We think about freedom from having to work and just do whatever we did, having all the access to all of the resources and leisure, not having to work. We think about being able to go anywhere that we want to go. And we also think about no rules. No rules. No expectations. That, that's how our world defines freedom. But Adam and Eve were created. They were the freest human beings who ever lived. How about rules for them? They had rules. One rule. You shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How about sexual freedom for them? They had one, one man and one woman for one lifetime. The freest human beings who ever lived were living in a monogamous relationship. What about, what about work? Were they free from, from having to Exert effort? No, they were put in the Adam was put in the garden to work it and to keep it. How about being able to go wherever they wanted? No, they were put in the garden. They had boundaries around them. Listen, freedom is not the absence of restriction. Freedom is just having the right restrictions. You listen to, to Josh Doors play on our uh, keyboard today. He's just such a gifted uh, musician and and. What gives Josh the freedom to play so beautifully? Is it because someone told him in music lessons, ah, just play whatever notes you want, you know, just, just do whatever, no. Where did, where did the freedom come from? The freedom came from knowing the scales. And when you know the scales... When you know music theory, then you can play freely. You're looking all over the place, and, and it's, it's effortless. It's free because you've embraced the restriction. How does Kawhi Leonard dominate on the basketball court? I'm sorry, that's just on my mind right now. Does he, does he dominate by traveling with the ball whenever he wants? Does he dominate by running out of bounds? Does he dominate by tackling people on defense? No. He's learned to thrive within the rules of the game. He knows the boundaries. He knows how it's supposed to work. And when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, the truth is the rules of the game. The reason, the purpose for which human beings were created. And Jesus says if you abide in his word, you'll know the truth. That we were not made just to satisfy our lusts and desires. We were made to live in relationship with God. And when we know that, we will truly be set free. Verse 37, he acknowledges their comment about Abraham. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. See, Jesus knew what was really happening in their heart. Deep down, they still wanted to be rid of him. They were believing in their own version of Jesus, but the true Jesus, what Jesus was ultimately about, is, would be crucified by these very people. He says, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. He acknowledges, yes, you are offspring of Abraham. It is true that that, uh, he is your father from a genetic perspective. But then Jesus introduces these, these two other fathers. He says, but, but there's my father, and there's your father. Jesus says, I, I'm saying what I saw with my father, and you do what you hear from your father. He's not talking about Abraham. And this is where the conversation gets that much more intense with that comment, because Jesus moves from talking about liberation from our slavery to a revelation of our ancestry, to a revelation of our Ancestry. I don't know if you've spent any time trying to follow uh, your own family tree or using Ancestry.com or something like that to try to trace your uh, lineage. But that's what Jesus is doing here. He is revealing the ancestry of the people that he's talking about. They didn't like how Jesus brought up this idea of having another father other than Abraham. So they reassert in verse 38. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. What are the works of Abraham? When he's talking about what did Abraham do? Abraham did a lot of things. I mean, Abraham moved from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son uh, Isaac. Abraham... Did a lot of things. But why did he do those things? What was behind the works of Abraham? It says in Genesis 15.6 that Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. And Jesus is saying, you don't believe me. I'm telling you the truth. You say you believe me, but you don't actually believe. You have a superficial faith, not a saving faith. You don't have a faith like Abraham Had. So Jesus alludes to a couple of uh, scriptures um, that the apostle Paul were to write later. One is in uh, Galatians chapter four or chapter three, verse seven. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Jesus said, "If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, which is believing. It's those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham." And then in Romans two. Jesus says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So Jesus says, There's, yes, you're physically descendants of Abraham, children of Abraham. But the true children of Abraham, it's not merely physical. It's spiritual. It's about what you believe. Verse 41, Jesus says, You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. So stop talking about us having another father. Abraham is our father. And then they go even deeper. They say, We have, we have one father, even God. Here, these, these people are claiming to be sons and daughters of God, they're talking to the actual son of God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus here dismisses with the notion of someone saying, you know what? I believe in God and I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a Christian. I, I don't worship Jesus or follow Jesus, but I'm intensely spiritual and I believe in God. Well, Jesus says, no, if you believed in God... If you were of the Father, you would love me because the Father has sent me. I I didn't come of my own accord. I'm here because the Father has sent me, the Father whom you claim to love. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father. Now he's going to reveal what he means when he's talking about this other father. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How did Adam and Eve, the first human beings and the most free human beings of all time, how did they become enslaved? They became enslaved because they believed the lies of Satan when he slithered into the garden as a serpent. You will surely not die. You'll become equal with God. They believed the lie. They rejected the truth. It is is lies that get us into slavery here's the other thing. It's lies that keep us enslaved. See, Satan lures us into sin by lying to us. Only this once. It's not going to hurt anyone. You deserve it. In light of what they just did, of course you need to do this. And he ushers us into sin by lying to us. That doesn't stop there. Once we get ourselves into the pit of sin, then he keeps lying. It's funny how he changes his tune. Like right now, he's our friend. He's like, yeah, come on, it's totally fine. Just step right into the pit. You'll be able to climb out. And then as soon as you get in, he changes his tune. And then it's all of a sudden, what did you do? How dare you? A Christian should never behave in this way. God could never forgive you. No one can ever know about this. This will never change. This will always be. Two seconds ago, he was saying, it's only this once. It'll be over in a second. And now we say, no, this is forever. It's never going to change. He's, he lies us to get us into sin, and he lies to keep us there. In the pit. But that's not really what these people are struggling with, is it? They're not in a pit. But Jesus is saying that the fa- the, the, their father is Satan, this liar, the devil. See, here's the thing. Satan has lies that he says... To put us in a pit. Those are dangerous. We need to be aware of those. But he also has lies. A far more subtle and a far more sinister form of deception. Where he doesn't put us in a pit. He lifts us up on a pedestal. Aren't you a good girl? You're so much better than all the other people around you. I mean, why can't they get it together? Just have a little more discipline. Get up a little earlier in the morning. Work a little harder. Why can't more people be like you? Look at all these people all messed up and addicted to things and struggling and, and full of proud pride and arrogance. Not me. Satan puts us up on a pedestal. Listen, it's a lot more dangerous to be up on the pedestal than to be in a pit. At least the person in the pit knows they need help. But Jesus isn't talking to pit people right now. He's talking to pedestal people. And listen, Jesus, he doesn't smolder out or snuff out a smoldering wick. He doesn't break a bruised reed. When he's talking to people in the pit, he's so gracious and tender and loving with them, isn't he? But he reserves his harshest words for those who think that they're up on a pedestal. And that's why he's telling them, your father is the devil. You think that you're better than everyone else because you follow the rules, because you 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 engage in the rituals, because you think you're so religious. All Satan wants to do is lead people away from God. He can lead people away from God by putting them in a pit and trying to keep them there or leading them away from God by putting them on a pedestal to make them think they don't need God. The pit people think God could never love them. The pedestal person assumes that God already does. Both are lies. And Jesus wants to awaken them to see that they're enslaved to sin and that they're sons of Satan, that they're daughters of the devil. And that a a dramatic change needs to happen. And he's speaking truth to them in the midst of the lies that they've been listening to from Satan. Verse 45, he says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus is asserting his sinlessness, that he lived a perfect life. Anyone, anyone got anything on me, he says? Now would be the time to speak up. Is there anything in my life that you could say, who can, who can convict me of sin? Jesus says, no one can convict me of sin. And I'm telling you the truth, you have no reason not to believe me. But they refuse. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus basically draws a family tree for us with only two branches. There's the family of God and then there's the family of the devil and Satan. And he tells us the bad news that we are all in the devil's family. But he has come as the son, the only son of the father, to welcome us in, to be adopted as sons and daughters into his family. In verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now this is just classic in public discourse that When you start to lose an argument, you just start insulting people. We saw this the other day with with Nicodemus. He started, well, shouldn't we listen to what Jesus said? He said, no, you're a Galilean. And now they say to Jesus, no, you're a Samaritan. You can see how territorial they they were about where you were from and your upbringing. And when we read John chapter 8 backwards into John chapter 4, we realize how much Jewish people actually hated Samaritans. I mean... When they're trying to insult Jesus, being a Samaritan is like equated with having a demon. And yet this is, you can understand now why the woman at the well was like, why are you talking to me? Because, Because there was so much animosity between the two. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus says that if you believe in him, if you keep his word, remember he said true disciples abide in his word, they keep in his word. He told them that they, they, will, they cannot bear to hear his word, but Jesus says those who do receive his word and believe in him will never see death. This is one thing that every human being has in common. The other day, Andrew had all of the small group leaders together and we were sitting around tables and sort of as our uh, our, um, our icebreaker game, we had to sit around the table, table about eight people, we had to find ten things that we all had in common. It's really hard. It's just ten people. You think about a room this uh, this. This big, with, with hundreds of people in it. What do we all actually have in common? One thing we all have in common is we're all going to die. Something we have in common with every single human being on planet Earth. You can drive down the 401 being like, you're going to die, you're going to die. You're, the way you're driving, probably pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we all have this in common, don't we? And that Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, I got the solution. We've all been dying. Everyone around will die, but if you abide, in my, if you keep my word, you will escape death. Verse fifty-two. The Jews bring up their favorite topic. Now we know that you have a demon, Abraham. They love talking about Abraham. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. How can you say that? Abraham died. Verse 53 Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? The question is rhetorical. They're not expecting an answer. They're saying, Slow down, buddy. You're not greater than Abraham, you're not greater than the prophets. How can you say that whoever believes in you will not die? But again, Jesus is talking on a deeper level. He wasn't talking about physical political slavery. He was talking about spiritual slavery. He's not not talking about physical death. He's talking about the death that comes after that death. There's a life beyond this life, and there's a death beyond this death. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing, but it is my Father who glorifies me. Of whom you say he is our God. Jesus says that he doesn't need to give glory to himself because he says his Father gives glory. Now think about this. This is this is God the Father. This is the one who said time and time again in the Old Testament, "I am the Lord. There is no other. My glory I give to no one." And so, what is Jesus saying about himself? Clearly. Here, in saying that the Father is giving him glory, he must be one with the Father. And so Jesus, he gave us a heads up about our need for liberation from our slavery and then told us the revelation of our ancestry. But this last statement of him is a declaration of his divinity. He's been talking about us. Now he wants to talk about himself. He says, no, the Father glorifies me. Which makes him... Equal with the Father. Because the Father shares his glory with no one. Verse 56, but you have not known him. Or sorry, verse 55, you have not known him. That's such a scary thought. These people were so hyper-religious, so committed to following the Old Testament scriptures and the law. And Jesus tells them, you don't know God. See, this is the crazy thing. You can be religious and yet not have a relationship with God. That's one of the biggest lies of Satan Is that if you're religious enough God will want to have a relationship with you And there's so many people who are following that path Being led by the lies of Satan Of being more religious like these people Jesus says no, no, no I have a relationship with the Father I've come to give you that relationship By dying on the cross for you He says you have not known him Verse 55, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Verse 56, your father Abraham, who you can't stop talking about, let me talk about him for a minute. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is talking about this one time where he saw Abraham rejoice about Jesus' day and obviously the Jewish leaders in response to that, verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? This doesn't make any sense. Your chronology is all messed up. How could Abraham ever rejoiced in your day? Verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now you're reading that in English, you're thinking grammatically that that I am what? I am am who? And it's just as awkward in Greek as it is here in English. It's ego me. There should be something after ego me. You can't just say I am and then just leave it hanging. This happened earlier in verse 24 and in verse 27. And Jesus said I am and they're like, they said who are you? I am what? I am who? Don't, don't leave us hanging. Finish your sentence. But Jesus is obviously intelligent enough to, to know how to construct a sentence. So something else is going on here. He says, Before Abraham was, I am. Not before Abraham was, I was. He's, he's not just saying that he, he's pre existent before Abraham. That would have been one incredible thing to say. But he says something more. He says, Before Abraham was, I am. You see, what Jesus is doing here, and he's done it two other times in John chapter 8, by using that phrase, Ego me." he is actually using the personal name of God. He's referring back to a story not involving Abraham, but a story involving um, Moses. When Moses was called by God to set the people free, he's standing there at the burning bush, and he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers, like Abraham... The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. This is, uh, this is a Hebrew word, uh, unpronounceable, called the tetragrammaton. And it's God's personal name. God's personal name is the verb, the verbal clause, I am. Not I was or I will be, that, but I am. And every time in your Old Testament you see L-O-R-D in all caps, that's God's personal name. Sometimes translated Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah. It's God's personal name. I am. And Jesus here states and declares his divinity before Abraham was. He states his preexistence. And then he says, I am declaring his divinity. Oh, I mean, I mean that, that may, might not be what he meant. Well, look at how the people responded. They knew what he meant. Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. And went out of the temple. They, they wanted to execute him right there on the spot. Because of what he said. Because they knew the implications of what he was saying. Now you might, you might think to yourself. You might be just new to Christianity. Or just visiting with a friend or something like that. And you're like, okay, God. that, that That's just your interpretation. Okay, well just. If you think that's just my interpretation. And just. My personal feelings about Jesus, just yourself, spend some time reading John 8, 31-59. This is why at Harvest we're really intentional just to read through verse by verse, word by word, what the Bible says. And what Jesus said about himself. Because this isn't just my interpretation. It's not just that I prefer that Jesus would be the Son of God. No, Jesus said he was the Son of God. It's not just that I hope he's equal with God. Or that I find it somehow therapeutic or helpful to to believe in a higher power named Jesus. No, no. He said it himself. How else could you interpret it? I mean, the the people, when they heard him say it, wanted to kill him then. They eventually killed him six months later for making the same claim. And so if you're kind of on the fence about Jesus, or you're just sort of thinking you want to be sort of um, um, vaguely spiritual, that's really not an option. Jesus declared that he was God. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Here's what Jesus intended to do He intended to tell us the truth so that we could be set free. He intended to come as the Son of God so that we could move from being daughters of the devil and sons of Satan and be adopted as children of the Most High. He came to declare his divinity. How will you respond? Kill him or crown him? Those are really the only options he gives you. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did love us enough to send us your Son. That although we had betrayed you, turned our back on you, and gone after lies, and have sinned against your holy and perfect law, Lord, I thank you that you sent your Son to tell us the truth and to give us freedom. God, I pray if there's anyone here right now who has not yet experienced the freedom from knowing And being in a relationship with the creator of the universe, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, I ask that you would work and move in our midst for your glory. God, I thank you that when we truly understand the identity of Jesus of Nazareth, that that helps us to understand our identity. When we truly come to grips with the fact that he is the son of God, that we then, can know what it means to be called children of the Most High. God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.